everybody has a perfect fit somewhere. Too many people are in an inappropriate job, in an inappropriate position, in an inappropriate relationship that doesn't align with their why. We have to have the courage to stand up and go, nope, this is my why in life and I'm going to, I'm going to adhere to it. So you would think if I told you about a uh, U.S. Air Force Thunderbird pilot who experienced uh, an absolutely traumatic accident in an air show in front of thousands and thousands of people, which is the worst nightmare for a pilot, you'd think that that would be the most interesting thing about a person. In reality today, uh, the person we're going to be talking to is so much more interesting than that, not for what happened to him, but for what instead uh, came out of that, the way he reacted to it, the way he grew from it and reframed his life on the backside of this traumatic, catastrophic event. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to The Dream Beyond. I'm your host, Nick Tarasio. I'm a CEO, musician, and overall seeker of truth, inspiration, and simply put, how to live the most fulfilling life possible. Growing up surrounded by extremely wealthy and successful people gave me unique and unfiltered perspectives of those who have seemingly made it. And on The Dream Beyond, we're letting you in on what it really takes to achieve your dreams, what happens when it turns out your destination isn't the promised land you were expecting, and how to process the lessons from your past while mapping a course to true fulfillment. Let's get started. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm coming to you today with Chris Strickland. He's a retired Air Force colonel, two-time best-selling author, company president, and chief technology officer. More importantly, proud father and dedicated husband to his high school sweetheart. And Man, oh man, I saw this guy speak uh, at a YPO, that's Young President's Organization. It's a business group I'm part of. I saw him speak a couple weeks back for me, and, and man, it just moved me. It was probably the first time in a long time I saw someone speak, and I did not know what was coming next. I just had no idea. And when it hit me, it really affected me. And I'll, I'll tell you, partly the reason is that Chris lived one of my earliest dreams that I don't talk about much. And I always had this love for the F-16. I remember seeing that plane, something about the scoop under the nose, just the, even the fact that it was just one engine, it felt a little more dangerous. I was like, oh, the other guys, they need two. We got one. We're going to crush it. So there was something about that I just found so sexy. And he lived that dream. He really got to live that dream in a way and, and uh, even lived the nightmare that I think all of us as pilots have to, have to think about and hope never happened to us. So I was uh, very much affected by his share. What he's come out of that with, I think is just a testament to the integrity and the quality of Chris and how he has turned challenging situations into uh, a gift. And again, I'm just so grateful that Chris has carved time out for us today. And uh, I'm just really excited to dive in. I don't, I don't even want to preamble that much here because I just want to hear more from you. And uh, again, just really happy that, uh, that you're here with us today. Nick, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your show here. And, and I will tell your listeners out there that I have already gotten a tremendous amount from our conversations we've had since we met at that event. Uh, and that's part of what I challenge other people to do is put yourself around people that challenge you in different ways, sometimes in uncomfortable ways. And you have, I, you and I have had some really open and honest conversations. And that's amazing because everybody you put around you, you should grow from and you should challenge them to be better. And that's what I thank you for is in our short time being together. And I'm looking forward to the future of our conversations you have challenged me in that way and talked about my story from a viewer's perspective, which allowed me to grow it from the presenters and liver's perspective. So thank you very much. 
That's amazing to hear. Again, I'm honored uh, in whatever way I can be of service to your story growing and, and just your friendship again. I, I think at the end of the day, what is this really all about? It's about friendship and connection. So that's really, it. Really Isn't that what that. life's about in general? It really is. And that's, I mean, that's the hope with this podcast is a chance for people to say, you know, I feel connected to some really extraordinary people and their stories. And I find a little bit of myself in that story. And so that's really what this was all about. So I, I'd love to kick it off with kind of transitioning from my first dream, which by the way, when I heard I had to shave my head to go to the military, game over. That's how weak I am. That's how weak my constitution <laughs> is. Like, oh, I got to shave my head and uh, I won't be able to have, I think I, someone told me I couldn't have a radio in my, in my dorm for the first year or something like that. I couldn't listen to music in my, I have no idea if that was true, but someone knew how to get me not to go cut your hair and you can't listen to music loud. It's like done. I'm not going to the air force. So, love so to I hear will tell you that is the <laughs> soft side of the sale of the air force Academy. It, that that's the easy stuff. It's so much harder and it's worth every bit. And that's what I tell people. If you, if you think it's not worth it, flying the F-16 is, flying an F-15 is, going supersonic is, going into low space is. Um, and those are all small prices to pay, but it's no different than when you became a pilot, right? Pilot training is yeah. hard wherever you do it, military or civilian. You're learning new things. You're challenging yourself in new ways. And it the price has to be worth it. It has to be internally worth it. And it's about that intrinsic satisfaction. It really is. And we'll talk about this, I'm sure, as we go through. As we set goals, if they're ever about title or money, let's talk about why those are unfulfilling, in my opinion, and why those are very shallow goals. And, I, and I'll talk about it from my perspective of somebody that did that in my life. But it, the journey's got to be worth the prize at the end. And sometimes the prize at the end is finding another journey to go on because we never make it. We, in my opinion, we never make it where we're going. Um, we always have to be continually learning every single day and growing every single day, because if you're not, you're going backwards. Well, now this feeling in my belly might be a little bit of regret for never getting to fly the F-16. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for that. Great way to start it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we always no, agreed to have honest conversations. No, right? I know. I appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way, even if it's just the best flight simulators I can find. But uh, so yeah, really kind of starting there, I am curious to understand how your dream unfolded, how that first dream for you was about getting into that airplane. Uh, you know, you know, I'm passionate about telling the story. I love it. So I'm small town, Alabama boy. My dad was in construction, no military in my family, in my hometown. I went to my, I went to my counselor and told her I wanted to go to the air force Academy. And if I remember right, the response is what's that? We're going to have to figure this out. Um, so you have to go back even further than that. And I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. And I will tell you, I was greatly influenced by Top Gun. And you won't find many Air Force people that will admit that. Right. We have Iron Eagle instead, which we won't talk about. Um, right. But Top Gun came out in 1986. I was 14 years old. And as soon as I saw it, I loved it. But that's not what motivated me to the path that I ultimately took and, and literally drove every ounce of my dedication. It was actually a magazine. It was Popular Mechanics. And one of the reporters had the opportunity to fly in an F-18. And the title of his article was Life Begins at Mach 2. And this came out right around the time of Top Gun. But I read this article and it was not an article about how awesome it is. It was an article about how horrible it is, about what it does to your body, about how brutal it is on your body, of how he threw up, of how he almost passed out, of all the demands a fighter pilot's body goes through. And I went, I want that. I want to do that. I think that's awesome. I want adrenaline. 
I'm an adrenaline junkie, like most pilots are. And so I took that magazine back in 1986 and I cut the title out and I took a stick pen and I put it on my corkboard. And it was the last thing I saw every night before I closed my eyes. And the first thing I saw every morning was life begins at Mach 2. And I truly dedicated every waking moment to that journey, to becoming a fighter pilot, a combat pilot, an instructor pilot. That is all I focused on. I was fortunate in that I had a high school sweetheart that was awesome. And we were married just after I graduated from the Air Force Academy. Um, We're about to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. But she was also very patient with me because I was so focused on that goal. That's all I did. I got up and went to work early. I stayed late. If there was ever a flight, I took it to make sure I was ready to go. So life begins at Mach 2. And the first time I went supersonic, it was the first hurdle into that goal of, okay, I'm getting there, right? I just hit the speed of sound. Now I got one more Mach to go. Um, And so that's what I devoted. And to translate this out, now that I've retired from the Air Force and I work in in business, um, I truly find that we're not special in the military and we're, we're not the only ones that move around like the military makes us do. Because in corporate America, a lot of people in big corporate America move as often as the military people do. There's different things changing as you progress through positions, as you go. But my goal remained, no matter what I did, was life begins at Mach 2. And then what sparked our conversation from that keynote is in the opening part of it, I talk about that goal and how important it was to me. And then I show a picture. Remember that picture? I'm flying the F-15. It's looking backwards. You see the crystal blue water of Key West, Florida. You see little contrails coming off my wings to telling you I'm pulling really hard on that aircraft and putting a G-load on that aircraft. And I took that picture over my shoulder and I used it to say that was the moment I knew for the rest of my life I would always remember because it was the moment I achieved my dreams. What I had worked for for so many years, what I had dedicated every effort to, I finally achieved. And then you remember the back to your I don't know what's coming. That's not a proud moment. That is not a bragging moment. It's actually one of my low points. It's one of my first traumas. Because when I woke up the next day and I had been focused on this goal, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to focus on. I didn't know what I was aiming for. Because the problem with that picture is it happened when I was 29 years old. And I achieved my life dream at 29. And so for the next three months, I, I was like a lost puppy stumbling around the squadron, still flying, but all of a sudden I don't feel the satisfaction I used to get when I was on that journey to climb. It It's autopilot. It's a plateau of my body knows how to do this. I just came back from Iraq in combat. I've been instructor pilot of the year. All those things I shot for, I found out were very shallow because it passed. The day after I achieved them, it was the what now, what next, what am I going to be when I grow up? And for me, luckily, I have always surrounded myself with incredible mentors. And I had a mentor that pulled me into a room one day and said, what is going on? I haven't seen you like this in your whole career. And and I I opened up to him and I said, you know what? I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I told him the story and he goes, you just have to pick the next hurdle that gets you towards success as you define it. Don't define it lightly. Don't define it topical, but know that each one of these individual successes continue on the journey of your life because it has to be bigger than just your professional life. Um, And he inspired me to go try out for the Thunderbirds. And it was because of his mentorship that I went to be a Thunderbird for the United States Air Force. So that's kind of my journey to bring everybody into what Nick and I have talked about that, that inspired our conversations was that 
I worked really hard for something. I got it. And all of a sudden, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Do you think it was and is necessary for most people? And again, not, not many people achieve their childhood dreams. I think that is a rare circumstance. And in the case that you did, does it feel like it's necessary to have that aimlessness, that feeling of being lost on the other side of that so that you can find what the next one is? Or uh, could you have mapped a course farther out in your life? Uh, that's a great question. And I think it is incredibly necessary. And when you look at whether military or starting out in business life or whatever you're doing, people always talk about work-life balance, right? 50-50, whatever you put to it, work-life balance. I, I, I agree you need work-life balance, but it's not a daily balance. You know what? Today, I came to work at 4.45 a.m. because I have a lot to do. And I'm trying to get caught up on work so that I can actually take a day off with my family tomorrow. Today is probably 80% work and 20% family, but guess what tomorrow is? It's 100% family and no work. The work-life balance has to be a longer-term view. And I find that most of us in the first 10 years of our, our life, first 10 years of our professional life, we work way too much, especially for type A people like us. We work very, very too hard. We have to establish ourselves, establish our credibility. But you need to be deliberate after that and make sure you give back to your family just as hard. So the reason I think it's a necessary goal is it allowed a small town Alabama boy to achieve what I never, well, I was confident it was possible, but now that I'm older and I know what the chances of going to the Air Force Academy are, I know that we only make 35 F-15 pilots a year out of 1,100 pilots chosen. It's just an insurmountable odds that it's just so unachievable that why would you start? You can take that view in the beginning. Luckily, ignorance is bliss, and it never crossed my mind that I wouldn't make it, that I wouldn't get the Air Force Academy, that I that I wouldn't fly a 15s. Um, so that's why I, I think it goes back to us talking about the Academy when we joked at the start. I've been out of Academy in quite a few years, and I am proud of what it did for me. I love the U.S. military. I love every day of my career. And to this day, I still hate every moment I was at the Air Force Academy. It was miserable. There were people yelling at me. I did not enjoy a single moment I was there, but I enjoyed everything it gave me the opportunity to do. And I respect the Air Force Academy in that the reason I went is because I was an immature teenager that did not have discipline. And I knew that I needed somebody else to help me get it. And that's what they gave me. So imagining someone else who comes out on the backside of their dream and has that bit of like a, it's like a hangover on some level is the way I've experienced it when I come down off of a really amazing moment in my life. Um, coming into that space, when you imagine someone there, what is the piece of advice you'd give to them when they're in that moment of aimlessness? And, and again, I think I've heard these stories of astronauts that came back from the moon and then, you know, they ended up becoming alcoholics or they ended up going like, what's left? What what can you and I, I'm curious for myself. I hope to someday achieve my dream of playing music in front of eighteen thousand people in an arena. What's the advice for someone like that on the next day? My advice is to define your level of success differently. To define your perception of success completely differently. Because when I first started consulting, when I was in the military, people would always say, "Well, I'm different at home than I am at work." Bull. That is not true. In my opinion, you are the exact same person 24 hours a day. That means that you can't have personal goals and professional goals. You have to have life goals. 
So I'll tell you one of the things I did when I was consulting, the company I worked for consulted with most of the Fortune 100 companies. And I had the amazing opportunity to, to sit in, in the C-suite of a lot of these and have conversations. And the way I start off those presentations is I give out a little note card that has some questions on it. And I go, what do you want in life? And 80% of the people would write down success, just the word success. 20% would write something different. But then I would take that and go, okay, for the 80% that wrote success, I want everybody to flip it over and write your measurement of success. What makes you successful? What does that mean to you? And I'll tell you what I found was more than three quarters of those people could not write their definition, their personal definition of success. What they would write is what society has taught them, what popular readings have taught them, what came out in Forbes magazine recently. They write other people's vision of success as a whole, as a broad brush, but it's not specific to them. So my goal of flying the F-15 and going supersonic like begins at Mach 2 was a very superficial goal. It didn't truly allow me intrinsic satisfaction of my entire life because as soon as I achieved it, I wanted more. There's more to life. What am I going to be when I grow up? And so that's what I always challenge people with is write your definition of success. Now, here's the key. I have a worksheet I give out in my presentations and I say, you have to write your definition of success. And, and I will tell you, I don't share mine. It's very personal. It should be no more than three to five words, three to five words, because words mean things. And it has to apply to every aspect of your life. Not, I want to be a fighter pilot in the military. It has to apply when I'm in church on Sunday, when I'm home with my family, when I'm raising my four kids. It has to apply to every waking moment because it needs to align with both the success, which is a, an effect, and the why. Because you and I have talked about this. What is your why in life? You have to be able to answer that. And when I wake up in the morning, if I do something during the day, I ask myself, does this align with my why? And if it does, I hard charge it. If it doesn't, I have to ask myself, why am I doing it? Why am I devoting my time to it? Because I have to look at the expense of everything I do in my life. And expense is not just a checkbook. Expense is your effort, your passion, your time. And we only have so much time in this life. So if it don't align with my why, everybody has a perfect fit somewhere. Too many people are in an inappropriate job, in an inappropriate position, in an inappropriate relationship that doesn't align with their why. We have to have the courage to stand up and go, nope, this is my why in life and I'm going to, I'm going to adhere to it. That's, that's big advice. That's big advice. And I think it's, I think it's hard sometimes to know if it's the right why. And you spoke about the fact that you don't really share it. Uh, do you share that? with your wife? Do you share that? Are there people in your life you do share some of the why and some of the life purpose and mission with? I do. I share it with two people because as you know, you've gotten to know me over recent months. I'm very deliberate in everything I do. And I share it with my wife because we share everything, right? I've been with her since, since we were 15 years old. Um, and we're not now for those of you audible listening only, I'm a little bit older than that. Um, and I share it with a mentor, my closest mentor, because I need somebody to hold me accountable. I need somebody to challenge me on it. I can't just talk about it with myself. So I have one person, and I will tell you, I shared it for the first time with my mentor two months ago. Wow. Two months ago. And the reason I shared it with him is it's peer mentorship. I don't find somebody that that is better than me <clears throat> and only going to mentor down. I find peer mentors where when we connect on a phone call, we're going to challenge each other. We're going to be sounding boards for each other. 
And he knows I've always used that. I don't share my wine with anybody. I don't share my success with anybody. And the reason I shared it with him is I challenged him that same thing I just gave you. Three to five words, every aspect of your life. And he called me. I was driving down the road one day and he calls me and he goes, hey, I want to share it with you. And I want you to poke holes in it. I want you to throw spears at it. I want you to help me know um, why it's not exactly right. Because that's what you'll find. It'll be a paragraph. It'll be a sentence. And you slowly have to challenge every word in it. And he had given me five words and I immediately challenged it. And I said, okay, how does this apply with your spouse? How does this apply with your, you know, when you're at church? And I, I, I shot the, the questions to him and he explained how it applied to him. And he goes, okay, there is no way I can make this better. And I said, my challenge to you is to cut one word off. And he's like, I can't, I mean, it's just debilitating. I can't. And I said, okay. I said, what if I say it this way? And I removed one of the extra words he had in it. And read it back to him. And he goes, that's why we talk, because we challenge each other. So there's my answer is two people know it. And it's because I have to be held accountable for somebody other than just myself. Fantastic. Well, offline, I would love to share with you mine. Mine is six words. And as you were talking, I was half listening and then half going like, what's the word I would pull out? So I, can I understand. See it. I can see it on your face. Yeah. I was just like, man, I don't know. I think I know the word. I think I know the word, but I would love to share that with you uh, offline and um, yeah, that's a, it's a beautiful invitation. It's so, you know, I, I forgot who said it, but he said, if I had more time, I would have written less. Yeah. And I think that there's, sorry, that there's... I didn't have time to write you a short letter. <laughs> so I wrote you a long one. That's right. And, 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 and I don't know if I've shared this with you, but survivor's obligation, it took us less than six months to write this book for me and my co-author. So my co-author survived stage four cancer. We share a survivor's obligation. So a short version of that is when you go through trauma, a lot of people that survive have a, have a remorse, survivor's remorse, survivor's guilt, and nothing against the people that do, but the two of us didn't. We felt an obligation to make it mean something, to make every moment mean something, to be more intentional with our lives. And it took us six months to write this book. It took us two years to cut it from 400 pages to the low hundreds because I, I'm I'm a fighter pilot. I have a short attention span. Anything more than about 120 pages, I lose interest no matter how good it is. So that goes with your theory of, sorry, I didn't have time to write you a short one because it killed That's us right. to wait two years and it killed us to cut some of the sections out, but it made it a good, palatable, quick, impactful read, I hope. Yeah, I think I share that sentiment with the podcast where in reality, I know we could talk for hours and hours and go, you know, two hour Joe Rogan format. But I'm like, <laughs> how do we do it in 30 minutes for... High achievers that are like, I, I don't have the time nor attention span. So very much, I, I understand that. I appreciate the fact that you, that you guys were able to pare it down. Uh, really, I, I'll, I'll say this too. I mean, this is not puffery. Beautiful book. Uh, so succinct and lots of nuggets in there that I just I very much connected to. And it that's where a lot of my questions came out of today. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and, and one other thing I would like to throw out, you know this, but um, all of the books I write, all of the books I partner with other people on, the only agreement, and I will tell you, we kicked off our new book last night with a new set of authors. And the first thing I say is nobody's allowed to make a penny off the books. There's no profit because we're, we're people who serve, we're people who give. And that allows you to talk about the book without trying to think it's selfish because Joel and I don't care if we sell any more books. Don't tell my publisher I said that. Um, but the reality is we're only trying to make a difference in people's lives. And it's much more liberating when you can, all profits go to charity. The charity's chosen by the, 
the uh, authors that are contributors and influencers in the books. Just like your podcast here, we, we hopefully you don't mind me sharing this ahead of time, but we, we start with why are we doing this podcast, which goes back to the power of why. Um, and the beauty of our connection is we're not trying to sell anything. We're not trying to drive them anywhere. We're just trying to open a conversation that makes you and I better and hopefully inspires other people to have follow-on conversations, just like you reached out after my keynote. This is what we're building is a, is a group of people who peer mentor each other connect with each other and are comfortable enough. Our new books are called The Mentorship Mastermind, and we have very clear rules when you come into it. You're, it's very private. It's very close hold. It's military classified. And whatever's said in there doesn't go outside the group because that's the trust you need is that what you and I talk about offline, I will never share it anywhere else. And I trust you the same way. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it it is... Uh interesting to talk about this idea of creating content, telling stories, sharing these things outwardly. And uh, one, I, you know, I do think it's very admirable the way that you're handling the book sales and making pure, uh, pure art to me, that's art, right? If it's something that's created just to make something, uh, I think Jamie wheel says more true, uh, beautiful or good. I like those words, right? It's just, it's about like, I, I don't have an agenda. I'm not trying to make you do anything for my own benefit. I really love that. And that's, again, I think why we connected so well, uh, I, I'm stepping into this space of, you know, I run a private jet company and I've been on stage and played a bunch of songs and, you know, spoke other people's words through cover songs when I've played them. What I'm curious about is on the other side of <clears throat> your traumatic experiences, what, was there any fear of telling your stories of like, is this really the thing that anyone wants to hear from me? Am I actually helping or does it, is it self-serving? Will people look at me funny? Will I be judged for it? Uh, I'm curious to hear your process in that of kind of turning to that place of I'm in service by telling my story. I feel confident and clear that I'm in service. That, you see me smile a little bit because that that's a hard one for me to talk about. Um, and, and I will tell you, the way I relate it is, for those that don't know, I ejected during a Thunderbird Air Show, a half second before impact. I'm two and a half inches shorter. I landed in the fireball. There's a million different. That's not possible for me to be standing here. Um, and, and that's a conversation for another day. But for for almost 15 years, my wife and I didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it at all. Remember, I married my high school sweetheart. We share everything. We grew up together. We know everything about each other. And... Um, she received a call and she heard that I was dead. So both of us went through trauma with this situation. So the easiest way to deal with it, which I, I put my disclaimer on, do not do this for anybody, is we just didn't talk about it until it mounted up to the point that what I say is I put all that trauma in a closet and one day the closet door opened and I couldn't control it coming out. And it was not a pretty sight. It was not. I had a rough year dealing with it. Um, so then. The short version of this story is a friend of mine who happens to be in the medical field uh, that I went to the Air Force Academy with. After it happened, he was in my wedding. He always wanted me to share my story. And I said, you know, easy out. I won't talk about it when I'm active duty Air Force. I'll talk about it when I retire. Because as a young fighter pilot, that is so far away, it will never happen in my mind. And when he found out I was retiring, he called me and said, hey, remember you said you'd talk about it when you retire? I'm a part of this organization and we want you to come in and be a speaker. It was actually YPO, Young Presidents Organization that you just talked about. Um, and he said, I'm going to I'm going to give you a contract, a legally binding contract, and you're going to sign it and I'm going to sign it. And your wife's going to be included on it to be in the audience. 
and I flew out. He was at San Antonio. I flew out and met him and his wife, who also went to the Air Force Academy with us. Um, and we talked about the details of this. And I said, I had never, the first time I ever shared my story was sitting at a hamburger joint in, in San Antonio. And the three of us were just squalling like babies. It was not a pretty sight of a fighter pilot, um, because it was the emotion coming out. So I went home, I told my wife, this is what I'm going to do. And like a good supportive wife, she said, you're crazy. And I wrote the book and I mean, I wrote the book. I'm a, I'm a morning person. So I wrote the entire book four to 6 AM. Um, and it went to the point that the night before publication, it was a Sunday. The night before publication, we killed it. We, we called the publisher. We called the editor. We called our publishing house and said, I think we want to pull it. I think we don't want to publish it. And for anybody that's ever been in that venue, there's a lot of money, time, and effort that go into a launch. Um, and it was the most, emo it was more emotional to write and publish the book than it was to survive an injection. Because in the words of my wife, you are about to publish internationally and go on stage to tell a story that for so many years we didn't even talk about in our house. So basically, you're kicking open the front and back door and inviting everybody in. And so it it was trauma. It, it, we go through trauma every day. People think of trauma as major things. And just like you heard me in my presentation, if you walked away from that presentation thinking it was about being a fighter pilot or ejected from an aircraft, you didn't listen to what I was saying because that's just what gets you to listen to me. That's what just what piques your attention so that we can open a conversation. But publishing the book, the I will tell you the first six months of speaking engagements, I did not allow people to pre-buy the book because I said I couldn't sit in the audience and see this book. I couldn't sit on stage and see this book sitting in the audience and keep it together because it still had so much emotion. And you saw that in the presentation. I go a different direction with every presentation because as I tell my story more and more, I can dive a little bit deeper into the trauma of what me and my family went through, of how we're dealing with it. So I had a presentation last week and, and during the Q&A section, somebody said, well, tell me how you dealt with this. And I said, I'm going to have to redirect your question because you said it in the past tense and I'm not dealing with it in the past tense. You deal with trauma every single day with every waking moment. You deal with a different aspect of it. And the last thing I'll finish with, and you hear this a lot from the post-traumatic stress uh, communities, triggers. Well, we, we use it with a negative connotation. You know what? My wife knows what my triggers are, and she helps steer me away from them. She helps protect me from them. But think about it's coming up on the holiday season. And last night, we, we started making a holiday dinner, and my wife went, it smells like my house when I was a kid. Well, you know what? That's a trigger. It's just a positive trigger. So you have to be aware of both good and bad triggers that take you down these things on the journey there's surviving trauma of any magnitude. So going into the, the, the trauma conversation, one of the pieces I really anchored in the book was listening to the, or reading the paragraphs about how your wife started to respond to you sharing this stuff and her having to take time to keep listening and watching you speak about it until she could finally be there with your presentation. And I, I've, I've heard in my life people say some things are better left unsaid. And I'm curious, after having had to subject yourselves through this process of what I now know is healing on the other side of it, but at the time it may not feel like healing, it may feel like poking a wound, uh, what advice would you give to people that do sometimes say, just stuff that down, hold it in there, it's better left unsaid because it's not caring to, to open that back up? 
So I'll pull on a string that I talked about a little bit earlier because fighter pilots, pilots in general are incredibly good at compartmentalizing what's going on because you want your pilot to be able to put everything else in their life out of that cockpit when they're dealing with something airborne. We're very good at compartmentalizing. It makes us good at what we do. The problem is when we get out of the cockpit, I can still prioritize and, and compartmentalize in the rest of my life. And that's what my answer was, why we're not dealing with it is I'm just going to lock it away. But the problem is the trauma kept growing like a snowball rolling down the hill. And eventually, and eventually the door opened when I wasn't ready to deal with it, when I was in public, when I had no, I didn't have any armor to deal with it because my armor had always been not talking about it. I hadn't built up my strengths of who I relied on, who I hugged on, who I talked to. And so I'm a firm believer that not talking about it is not the way to deal with it. And one of the hardest things for me um, was when I, like you said, when my, I said, you have to watch the videos, you have to listen to the communications, you have to read the book. And, and I'll tell you, she said, I want to be taken out of the book. I don't want to be in the book at all. I don't want to talk about it. And I said, our lives are so intertwined that I have no life without you. I can't tell my story without you being in it because you are my story, right? And, and it was hard for us because it took us four months before she could even make it through a one-minute video. Wow. Because every time we started it, we lost it. Um, but I will tell you, I have the greatest marriage in the world. I truly believe that. But when we started talking about this, it made it even better because it was the only thing that I thought we didn't share with each other. Um, that, that I thought we were hiding from each other. And, and the first time I ever talked to it about it, it was, it was traumatic for me because I brought it up to her and her answer was, I know, I thought we just didn't talk about it. And for me, that's just amazing when you have somebody you can share everything with. And I mean, I, I will tell you, I, I have a service dog. I have a PTSD dog that is with me most of the time, but now not only does my dog help me see my triggers, my wife can openly help me see him and go, hey, you need to go talk to your dog. Cleverly named Sky, by the way. I'm not that creative. Um, and, and I, I, say, I, I had a dog I, named Jet at one point. So there I, you go. Uh, there you go. I totally get um, it. <laughs> it has to take a secure fighter pilot to stand on stage and say, I have problems. It also has to take a secure adult to walk in. In one of my jobs, I work in a construction company. And when I walk into the construction company with a, with a big black female poodle, Hey, that really lays it out there of, okay, somebody's going to ask why I have a poodle, but it, it it's just, it's been life changing for me to be able to share with you, to share on stage, to share with my wife, to grow from it because everybody has trauma. Everybody has trauma in their life and not everybody grows from trauma. So if I could share real quick, what, what I see is as I start talking about this, First of all, when I get my keynote and have one of these, I always have one to two people, if not more, reach out and say, I've never told anybody this, but. And they share with me some life trauma that they, they've never told anybody about. And that tells me it's worth what I'm doing, because that's the reason I talk about this. It has nothing to do with me. I'm retired Air Force. I, I could go sit fishing on the boat, go walking on the beach. And but I don't because I share my story that is painful for me because it allows others to share their story that they may not have dealt with. And when you have trauma, you ask yourself three things. 
Why did it happen? Why did it happen now? Why did it happen to me? And if you think about every trauma in your life, you've probably asked yourself some version of those three questions. But becoming on the other side better than you were before is about embracing it. How you act, react, inact, the decisions you make, the indecisions you make. Indecision is a decision. Decide not to deal with it is a decision on how to deal with it. And like you know from my story, my problem wasn't the why did it happen? Why did it happen now? Why did it happen to me? For me, I added a fourth one, and Joel did too, of why did I survive? Why was I left here? What am I meant to do? And am I ready for it? Am I on the right path of life? And that's when I developed my why and my success. And 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 I continually ask myself what I'm going to be when I grow up. Do you have a sense of, uh, you know, again, the podcast is called The Dream Beyond for this reason. Once you've achieved the first dream, what is that dream beyond for you? Do you have a sense of that? And is it your why in some way? It is exactly my why. Because once you achieve that dream, that is just one stepping stone. It's not the journey to the finish line. That's a stepping stone for you to get to your bigger thing in life, whatever it is. And either you can be deliberate about controlling your life as much as you can and pushing it that direction, or you can let life react around you and unfold. You know, one of the examples I use in my keynote, and if I could, I'll share it here, is I tell everybody that here's the exercise. When you wake up tomorrow, I'm going to give you $86,400. And here's the rules. You have 24 hours to spend it. At the end of 24 hours, you give anything left back to me. And the only thing you carry into the next day are the memories and experiences generated from that $86,400. And usually at that point, I have to pause for a minute on the stage because I can see on the faces of everybody in the audience, they're already buying them a boat, buying an airplane, right? They're planning out what they're going to do. Okay. Very deliberate with every penny. Imagine that but live the fact that each day has 86,400 seconds. Why are we not just as intentional with every second as we were with those pennies? Because there are no do-overs. There are no redos. There are no carryovers. At the end of the day, you have what you made it. And it's your book to write each and every day. So is that the why for you? Really making, making every moment count? Every moment. Live intentionally. You'll see me hashtag that on everything I post. Live intentionally. Um, and making a difference. I mean, I hope that you and I have this conversation. It's already made a difference in me because you you took me down a little bit different path of, of things I don't normally share on a podcast. I hope I've challenged you to think about some things differently. I will tell you my big success from what I've learned today is you came up with your six words that define your why in life. I, I take that as a big win that I may have influenced that since the first time we talked and I challenge you to do that. We're also going to hone that thing down to three to five words in the near future since you're willing to Terrifying. share it. Terrifying. But that is the making the difference, right? Yeah. No matter how much I go out and speak, if it impacts the life of one person, it's worth everything I do. Everything I do. Same thing with you with this podcast. If you're impacting one person out there, one, one of my favorite uh, authors and speakers and influencers, Jim Hunter, he wrote about servant leadership. And one of the stories he tells, I've been with him since 2012. He's a huge mentor in my life, a great human being. And one of the stories he tells is there, you, you die twice in this life, twice. One time when you leave your body, which everybody thinks is the trauma of dying. And the second time is the influence on the earth, the last time anybody speaks your name. And, and before he presented that to me, I had never thought it's of heavy. it that way. And it, it, you just hit it. It's heavy. I think about that sometimes and, and it's heavy in a negative way. I'm like, oh, my gosh. 
Apparently, I'm not worried about. I always talk about when you take your last breath. You heard me say that on stage. The real challenge of life every night when you close your eyes, ask yourself, if this was my last day on this earth, would I live it the same way or would I live it differently? If you would live it the same way, do it again tomorrow. If you would live it different, differently, fix it tomorrow. Because if you ask yourself that every night, unfortunately, one time, you're going to be right. But then Jim gave me his version. I'm like, crap, I got to change everything. Now it goes back into the influence of extending beyond you in this body of you die for the final time, the last time anybody utters your name or your influence. Yeah, I mean, I hearing that, hearing that, what it's a little bit of freedom. It's a lot of humility to hear that statement because I think so many of us, and it's so prevalent in YPO, legacy, 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 legacy. What happens when the legacy ends on some level? Like what happens when no one even knows you were ever here? That's a big thought. It, it, and again, it is a little bit liberating because like, as you're saying that, what I'm thinking is, why do I care so much what people think about this or me or anything I do? Because at the end of the day, it's really not that. It doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter. It don't matter how many dollars you have in your checking account. Yeah. Right? It's about legacy. My wife, during COVID, she took a class. She took a class at Yale on the, on the uh, definition of happiness. And my wife don't like to take classes. She, you know, she was doing it because 2020 was a challenging time for all of us. And the one takeaway she reminds me of all the time is that life is not about dollars or salary. That money allows you opportunity to generate memories. And that's what it's about. It's about the memories that evolve into the legacy. And, you know, as a parent, I told you I have four kids. I have a very specific mission with my children as a dad and my wife as a mom. And I'll share that with you. Our definition of success with our kids is to give them a higher launching platform than we have. And I don't mean that as a negative against our parents, but that's our stated goal. We talk about them the whole time because once we launch them out of the house, we may still influence them, but, but your life is your own. It's not your parents. So as a parent, we just want to give you a higher launching platform than we have. And everything in my life, I am intentional about what is the goal. If you ever sit in a meeting with me, the first thing I'll start off with is why are we here today and what are we trying to get out of this time together? You have to be intentional in everything. Otherwise, life gets in the way and somebody else writes your book for you. Well, I got to tell you, I often uh, want to land airplanes and get out and go to my destination where, you know, where I was hoping to be. But in this case, I wish we could stay in flight for the whole time and not have to land this one. It's again, you're just an endless resource of, uh, wisdom and, uh, grace in the way you talk about things that I think are very hard and humility being that you could walk around like uh, King Kong and say, you know, I've done more than most, but it, it, I, I really appreciate that you lift others up and that, that is your driving force. So thank you for all that you do. And, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to think about out of today for me. I appreciate that, Nick. And I, I, it's been inspirational for me. And for anybody that listens out there, I would encourage you to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I run my LinkedIn account. There's not a, there's not a machine behind that account. And like you just said, that's the biggest um, success that I will take away from this is making an impact. This story is not about me. It's not about you. It's about the people we're influencing. And so reach out and connect with both of us to keep this conversation going because that's what we, we are in the flight of our life, right? And we have to have these conversations to challenge us, to make us better, 
to encourage us, to inspire us, because that's how we're better tomorrow than we are today. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaways from this, man, I heard a lot of few, th- there was a lot of things that I want to touch on real quick, just to really anchor and make sure I had it right, was I heard this idea of beyond that first dream, which is often for people about external success and looking and appearing a certain way in the world or uh, whatever that may be for each individual, it's about really having a life goal. It's about having a life goal that it will be with you no matter what you achieve, something that can never actually be fully completed, right? There is no moment of achievement. It's about striving towards that thing forever. And I I really want to think more about that and get those words honed. And I'm grateful that you'll help me do so at some point because it's a big task. Uh, The other thing I really heard here was really speaking to that question of that some things are better left unsaid. And I think you spoke to it in a beautiful way of it's going to come out somehow. And it may come out at a time that is even worse than the time if you had at least intentionally dealt with the reality of that situation. And I think that that's a, that's a really powerful lesson. And I think the other big takeaway for me is, you know, really around that idea of, I, it's, it seems silly to say it this way, but almost not taking oneself so seriously. That idea of like, we're going to be forgotten at some point, we're going to die twice. I think that's a really powerful concept of you're going to die twice anyway. So what are you holding on to exactly? What's the thing that you think is going to happen if you don't, you know, be a little bit more humble, have the humility of like, it's a short ride. It's the 86,400 seconds a day. That is such a powerful concept. And I've been very guilty of being uh, uh, at times very irresponsible with that. So I really appreciate those. Those are kind of the three big things I really hope everyone takes from that. And and speaking to what Chris said earlier, my hope is that for each person who listen, that you think about something that maybe you've been holding on to. What's the thing you haven't said, haven't shared? That you're in the darkness alone with it. And you know, again, I've uh, I, I've been going through this process myself of like, what are those deep traumas or secrets that I've held that have forced me to feel alone, even moving through a crowd, even being around other people. I can feel very alone at a table full of other people if I'm not being authentic. So Chris, thank you for inspiring that. Um, And you know, Chris, you shared before as a call to action that really this is most importantly about one little nugget for each person, whatever that is, whatever you heard here that inspired action in some way. Um, In fact, Chris, I'll invite you to say it the way you said it, because it was just so beautifully stated as, you know, what do you hope for all the listeners? So thanks. First, thanks, Nick, for all of our conversations, but I've had a blast with this one today. And as we get to that call of action, I would like to share one more thing from my wife. When I talked about the night before publication, we almost pulled the plug. And her words to me was what guides me in all of this, because I was worried. People are always going to pick your story apart. People are always going to throw spears at your story, right? Nothing, nothing is not subject to, to public opinion out there. And I was worried about my story being treated like fact of, well, no, this is court of law. This don't work. And and what she shared with me that made us go forward with publication is this is not how the world is. The stories we talked about are not the facts as the entire world sees them. This is my perception of trauma. This is how it impacted my family. Your story is your perception of life. And that's the reason I talk with very deliberate words I never say what you told me was. I always say what I heard was. And she said, no matter whatever happens, it's your story and your perception. And nobody can say you're wrong about your perception. 
And that's what allowed us to push forward. And as we did talk about call to action before we before we started this here today, and I go back to this isn't about me and it's not about Nick. Today is not about us. It's about each of you. And our call to action for you is to find what parts of this either inspire you to do more, to do something differently, or let us know how you think we're wrong to take that conversation a different way. But we want each person living today that listens to this to improve some aspect of their life, to relook some aspect of their life. And it goes back to the goal of be better tomorrow than you are today. And if we achieve that call to action, I already feel personal satisfaction out of our time together. And I hope that all of you guys grow from this as well. Awesome. I couldn't say it better. So I just want to thank you for your friendship more than anything. And thank you for sharing today. And, uh, yeah, happy uh, happy holiday season as we as we come into this over the next couple of weeks. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to the Dream Beyond. I hope that you received whatever message or inspiration you were meant to get from today's episode. I had a great time recording it for you. If you love the show, please take thirty seconds to subscribe, rate, and review it. That really helps get the word out. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Instagram.com slash Nick Tarasio linkedin.com slash in slash Nick Tarasio or youtube.com slash n Tarasio.